Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guests today are Steve Marconi and David Phillip, the authors of the sixth edition of the excellent book, Managing Your Band. But first of all, let's talk about the BOT Act. B-O-T, the BOT Act. Last year, Congress passed the Better Online Ticket Sales Act. And what this does, it prohibits a ticket seller or reseller from using any kind of software to jump in line to buy tickets. So in other words, we've all been there where tickets are going on sale at 10 a.m. and we sit there at 9.59, 9.59 and we're counting down the seconds and it gets to 10 a.m. and all the tickets are gone or all the good tickets are gone. Well, the reason why is the bots got them first. So not only did Congress pass a law, but there's also similar versions in New York and Nevada as well. And then the UK and Canada and the EU are also working on versions. And this seems like a really good thing, right? Well, it turns out that a year later, when we look back on it, we find that the act didn't eliminate the purchase and reselling of legally obtained tickets. So in other words, it really didn't do its job because the bots are still out there. In fact, what it was designed to do is make sure that all of the tickets that the public never saw were actually coming to light and we'd have a chance to at least bid on them. And that didn't happen either. So there's about 40% of concert tickets that the public never actually sees until they get to the resellers. And then finally, what it didn't do is make it easier to prosecute international scalpers. In fact, what ended up happening is in the last year, bot traffic has increased by 20%. One of the reasons why is bots are advancing technologically at a great speed. And now the attacks are distributed across thousands of IP addresses. So basically what that means is a lot of people unknowingly are helping the bots and helping the international ticket sellers and also the national ones because their mobile phones are infected. Now, a lot of this technology is coming from Russia, and the spotlight is constantly on Russian hackers, Russians that are breaking into banking systems and the U.S. voting system, and, of course, the ticketing system. So why is this? Why are the Russians so good at this? And nobody else seems to really have a handle on it. And I asked a guy who claims he's the king of the hackers why that is, and he says the reason why Russians learn kind of from the bottom up. They learn in a way that just about the rest of the world has bypassed. So they're used to actually going deep down into coding to figure things out. And they're really good at it, while the rest of the world has basically jumped a step. And as a result, the rest of the world can do things faster, but they're not necessarily better at it. And that's one of the reasons why the Russians are so good at this. But that being said, here you go. You think that you have the legal way of actually eliminating a problem, and in fact, it gets worse. So sometimes acts of Congress don't really help things, as we found out. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. Check out my Hitmakers Club for access to the Private Mixers Facebook group, monthly deconstructed hits, mixing workshop, and Q&A webinars. For a short time, access to my core training module bonus. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. (music) 
Now let's talk about a subject that I continually get emails about and questions about, and this comes up in my Hitmakers Club and the Q&A webinars that we have, independent emails that I get, and it all has to do with mixing to LUFS levels. What is LUFS? It stands for Loudness Unit Full Scale. And what it is, it's a perceived loudness scale. So it basically looks at a program over time and determines how loud it is. And the reason why this came about was adopted in 2012. It was mostly for television commercials because up until that time, people would always complain about they'd set the level on their television for the program, it'd be nice and comfortable, then the commercial would come on and be blasting loud. Well, in order to overcome that, this new way of measuring loudness came up called LUFS. And the broadcast world is very, very strict about this. You cannot go beyond minus 23 or else you can lose your license to broadcast. And this goes for television and it goes for radio. Now, the rest of the world has also adopted this as well. For instance, for DVDs and games, you usually see levels of around minus 16. Spotify, YouTube, and Tidal have all chosen minus 14. Apple Music is minus 16. The question then becomes, should I mix to those levels? Well, yes, if you're mixing for broadcast television, absolutely. You have to, or else it's going to get kicked back because no broadcaster wants to lose their license. But when it comes to mixing for music, do you have to mix for minus 16 for Apple Music or minus 14 for Spotify? No. It doesn't do you any good to do that because what ends up happening is if you're signed to a record label, the record label is going to send a 44.116, basically a CD resolution quality mix to Tidal, YouTube, Apple Music, Deezer. Every streaming network gets a CD quality mix and then they do the processing. And then they also either bring the level down or bring the level up to whatever it should be. So it doesn't do you much good. Now, there's a lot of tools out there that allow you to monitor at those levels so you understand what it sounds like, but you're not mixing to those levels. You're only listening at what those levels are supposed to be. It's for reference use only. Now, the biggest thing you can do is, instead of crushing things, is to keep some dynamic range. Because when Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer or any of those actually get a hold of your mix and then encode it, the more dynamic range, the better it sounds. And if it's crushed, it won't sound louder anyway. So you might as well have the dynamic range so it sounds good. Now, I know that's very difficult, and we live in an age where we're kind of forced to mix things loud because that's what is expected from us. But you don't have to mix as loud as you used to, and it's actually counterproductive. Now, I said a record label is going to send at CD quality, but also... If you're not signed to a label, that means that you're using TuneCore or you're using CD Baby or one of those aggregators, and they do the same thing. They don't do any encoding. What they ask from you is a CD quality mix, and then they send it off to the various services who then do the encoding. So it doesn't do you any good to mix to a particular level unless of course again you're mixing for a game yes they probably want it at a certain level if you're mixing for television they absolutely want it at a certain level for music not so far 
What you really want to do is monitor at that level, but you don't need to mix to it. So I hope that clears some questions up because it keeps on popping up over and over. Dr. Stephen Marconi is director of the music management programs, and David Phillip is a professor of music and entertainment industries at William Patterson University in New Jersey. They've collaborated on the sixth edition of Steve's excellent book called Managing Your Band. As you can imagine, they have some fascinating insights in the business of music, and I spoke with them via Skype from the campus of William Patterson University. Why don't you guys tell me about your background in the music business? Okay. Um, I actually come from the artist standpoint, as I was on a Epic Records in the 70s with a band, and uh, we wound up... Um, what we did was we took a friend who actually started booking us and was somewhat of a road manager and we turned him into a manager and he couldn't swim with the barracudas so even though we had uh, people like Clive Davis with his arms around us and so on we uh, were one of the casualties and I and another person in the band already had our masters and we were told to just shut up and play basically and after we finally fired that manager, we decided to try to manage ourselves. And uh, that is the kiss of death that I would never, you can use the Beatles as an example, but I would never, ever recommend that. So I did that for a while. And then I wound up just being in um, Syracuse when the band broke up and my graduate advisor became the director of the school of music and an alum was putting together uh, this idea for a music business program and gave him a little money and I wound up falling into it, just teaching at Syracuse for 11 years and then came down here in the 80s uh, and inherited a program here, but I wanted to be in one of the centers of the industry so I could write a book. And it was, the uh, book was managing a band because I felt it was the weakest part of the industry and the and the, the the most important part of the industry and um through my own experiences and so on that was the first probably edition edition maybe one in edition two and i uh, wrote five editions and then at the sixth edition uh brought dave on and that is i yeah so it's my beginnings are very different from steve's um I was raised by wild dogs on the street, hard streets of Madison, New Jersey. And it, it took me a long time to learn how to speak English. And suddenly I'm a published author, so it's a little crazy. But uh, I actually went to William Patterson University. I was a music management major there. And one of my professors was the guy on my left, your right, named Dr. Esteban Marconi. And um, my last year there, I interned for a man named Jim Caparo who was the VP of sales for Polygram Records, uh, which um, when I went there, Polygram had just bought A&M and Island Records and was becoming one of the main, it was like number five of the big six at the time. This is uh, 89, 90. And so uh, the internship went great, hired me. I ended up joining the sales branch, New York sales branch of Polygram, which was Polygram Group Distribution. And then Universal bought Polygram uh, in 98. By that time, I'd gone into um, Polygram Home Video for a while, and then I was with their special markets division for a time, and then it became Universal Music Enterprises, and that was their special markets division. And do you, do you know what that part is? 
Yes. Special markets. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're working with accounts like um, Pottery Barn, creating a Pottery Barn CD, and we would take our, you know, um, uh, let's see, we call it like this, the sound of Detroit that people would buy as a gift with purchase or something at uh, it's at Pottery Barn, for example. And our division made all the CDs that used to be sold at Starbucks and things like that. And I, I did one of the first digital promotions with Oral B toothbrushes. Um, back in the early 2000s. So um, did that, then left, followed the money, went back into home video, hated every second of the job that I had. And um, my job was eliminated, which was awesome. And then I uh, started my own company. Then I ended up going into radio and then started working with William Patterson about four and a half years ago. And then um, all of that ended up starting making Managing Your Band. Sixth edition. Well, I want to get there in a second, but first, let's talk about the program at William Patterson. So you both teach in the same program then, right? Yes. And uh, actually, we have, uh, we call it the, the place to study the music business because uh, we have several different ways in which you can do that. We have a degree that has a major in music management. Now it's called music and entertainment industries. But we also have a minor from any walk of campus, you can minor in music, the music business, whether you're a marketing major, a biology major, or whatever. We also have now all the way up to an MBA in music management. So we're one of the few universities that do everything in-house. And because of that, we have so many different kinds of people walking around, and we offer such a variety of things that people can do to get their feet wet in the industry, such as there's a very strong student program. We mentioned the radio station. We have uh, Steve Leeds, who's vice president of Sirius, runs a lecture series in the spring where we bring five heavyweights in. We have a special uh, arrangement with Warner Music, and we bring actually a visiting expert in every year to teach classes. This year it's Don, uh, John Bulos, who's VP of promotion at Atlantic Records. Uh, we also have adjuncts that are in the industry. For instance, we have uh, Aaron Van Dyne, who's actually the business manager for Kiss and Three Doors Down and Charlie Puth, and um, who else? Number of athletes, St. Vincent. Yeah, St. Vincent, and so yeah. on. So the program is is varied, and uh, the job really is to get students with uh, big eyes and probably have no idea outside of a record label what they want to do. There is something like 800 and something different positions, and it's our job to funnel them down. Many times to funnel them down through, uh, the majors are required to do three internships, to funnel them down to at least tell us, well, I know I don't want to do that. So maybe I want to do this. Uh, and uh, that's really the approach that we take. It's, it's not simply, that you have to be a musician or you have to be in one school. We have, uh, I think I said it, we have at least 50 minors all over from all walks of campus. We have 20 in the MBA program. Hmm. So it really has become a center for studying the music and entertainment business. You know, it's one of the things I noticed where you have kids going to school, a lot of times they're there to find out what they don't want to do as much as find out what they do want to do. And just by eliminating things, uh, they can kind of figure it out more. So you've seen, I'm sure, there's always a couple of shining stars and there's a couple that you know that they're going to be working elsewhere in every class. Yeah, and every person that we bring in from the industry mentions one word. Every single person will mention passion. 
Mm-hmm. So if the passion isn't there, they don't want to have anything to do with them because there's too many people walking around with the passion. And we see that very, you know, it's very prevalent. Who's really going to rise to the top and who's not. And one of the, the uh, I think the main ingredient is their personality, is that passion in their personality. Um, so you're right. Yeah. And some people, you know, act like C students um, and RC students, but there's something about them and that you realize that they're going to be much better than C students once they get out of college. So it's, it's, it's a great conversation because college isn't for everybody. Some people should have waited a couple of years before they went. Some people, and we have students who are 26, 27 years old, still on their undergrad because they waited a while or they came, they left, they came back, they left, you know? So it's, it's interesting and it's more different nowadays because it's so expensive as well. Yeah. Um, we're a state school. So if you live in New Jersey, it's not horrendously expensive to go to. I was talking to somebody yesterday who lives in New Jersey as a junior in high school. And she was thinking about William Patterson or maybe going to NYU. And I said that NYU is NYU. I mean, it's got that great brand name. But if you live in New Jersey and you can get in terms of music business, uh, uh, what we would consider an equivalent music business education, stay here, um, spend a whole lot less money and do all your internships in New York City. You know, you're still it's all about making connections and showing that passion and showing that inner drive that not every kid has that drive. Mm -hmm. That's why some kids you know, they, they graduate and they're just kind of floating around for a while because they're waiting for it to come to them instead of them pushing hard all four years, planning to, to get out and hit, you know, hit pay dirt when they get out. We usually say to the uh, student that when you're in your last internship, you're, you're looking for these four words from your supervisor. And the four words are, when are you done? They don't care if you're from Harvard. They don't care if you're a biology major. They don't care if you have a 3-9. They don't care if you're just getting by. When are you done? And that's through the passion and through the just what he's saying, through that energy that this is what I want to do. And it, it and it's funny because some kids, and it's also about their story, and some kids don't know that they have a story. We have uh, at William Patterson, um, there's a college rep program with the Warner Music Group where they basically hire kids at colleges to promote Warner Music artists on college campuses. So we have somebody on William Pat- Patterson who handles kind of North Jersey. So it's not just our school, it's uh, multiple schools. And when she was going for the position in the summer, she comes from Michigan. And I said, well, part of your story that you can pitch to them is you came all the way from Michigan here. You didn't know anybody. And your goal was to get here, to get close to New York City, to get this kind of deal. And, you know, know, that kind of thing and that drive and that fearlessness to get to what I want. And I said, that's kind of your story. Embellish on that, but tell the truth. But that's how they're going to see you versus the other kid. And again, it's thinking of all the competition, all the other kids going for the same job, you know, what separates you. And she got it. And she thought that was one of the things that set her apart from the other people, you know, and, it, and it's thinking about that, you know, it's, it's, it's like any marketing plan or anything, you know, what's different, unique about this that people will, will, you know, grab onto and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about your book, managing your band. And one of the things I found interesting in our conversation just before, Steve, you were talking about managing yourself and how it's not a great idea. Managing your band is about that, though. Am I right? 
Well, it's it's a book for the, um, as Doc McGee says, which we have his quote right on the cover, and Doc McGee, who manages Kiss and so on, says, I wish I had something like this when I was starting out, mm. meaning that he was able to learn from this book as Doc McGee, as well as a DIY person. So we 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 never intended it to be an introduction to the industry. There's a lot of books out there that are introductions to the industry and the music business for dummies and so on. This is for someone who's also who is established and also someone who may be DIYing themselves, but they know something about the industry and uh, they don't have to start it. This is a copyright and you should have your songs copyrighted, that kind of a thing. Okay, so it's so, it's it's not an entry level then. You're talking about an intermediate level book, essentially. Yes. How did it come about? Well, I came. It came about as I said. I was. Uh, we started managing ourselves uh, when I was on the road, and then I said, you know, this is something that I have. I had at that time two music degrees. I didn't know anything about the music business, and this has got to stop. So I had the. The idea that this was something that every musician really should understand, uh, and that is their own business. And the musician can balance a checkbook, can come in on the budget if they just know what they're talking about. Uh, and that was my premise, actually. So what's in the book? What's in the book, Dave? <laughs> we found three errors so far, which uh, we don't like, but there are three errors in the book. Yes, but we'll never. Uh, we're actually running a contest to find the error and get a free copy of the book. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. We we pretty much um, being his sixth edition, and he wrote the fi first five by himself. And then he brought me on. This was really a, a pretty much a rewrite of the previous edition, which was you said like ten years ago. And um, it's got a lot. This edition on social media marketing, not just the typical how to post on Facebook or what Instagram is, but we actually go pretty deeply into LinkedIn and how LinkedIn can be your best friend. Uh, one, one class I teach at William Patterson is a social media class. It's called social music and social media. And we talk a lot about LinkedIn and how you need to fill out your profile completely. For example, like have a good professional profile picture. It's not a selfie. It's not um, you crop with, you know, a hand, you see the fingers on your shoulder, they cropped everybody out. Yeah. It's a professionally shot or just a shot in front of a white wall. Somebody took it just a good shot in, in HD of you. And then the background image and then writing out something for your headline. Um, you know, um, first rate podcaster or music business podcaster, number one, something like that, as opposed to just um, I'm a dude, you know, or a guy or a musician, whatever, but getting a little bit more into that and then filling out the full um, summary of who you are and then going deep with all the different positions and what you did in each position. It's things like that that we talk about in the book that we teach in the classes as well. So people understand that there are tools out there that are free that they can use that can definitely help them and propel them to make contacts. And with those contacts, they can get gigs, they can make money, they can make more contacts so that they can write better songs or write with different people or meet that person who will be their mentor or, or get on that podcast, things like that. So um, there's the modern entertainment company, which we talk about, which is very different from the traditional 20th century model where all I wanna do is get signed 
you know, it's about, you know, it's, it's DIY. It's all DIY and you're going to be DIY for a long time. And we talk about working hard and we talk about what sound exchange is and, and Merlin and all intermediaries and all that kind of stuff. So it, it does a pretty good deep dive into the business and, um, we're, we're happy with it. What am I missing that you would want? Well, to no, I just want to say that it's, it's very contemporary too and up to date. In other words, we do, uh, we have examples and we go into detail about the 360 deals, the multi-right deals and the artists being their own company uh, that not necessarily have to be with a major label anymore. We talk a lot about um, just what the industry is looking for, the data and the kinds of data that uh, are, is important today and what you can do to uh, find out about the data about yourself and keep track of yourself and uh, those types of things. So that uh, the book is used in about um, probably about two dozen universities right now. Hmm. Uh, the textbook. <clears throat> so uh, they're finding it as well. Is it, it's, it's sort of a hole in the industry. If you go to just pull up artist management books uh, on Google, I could tell you exactly the books you're going to see. And I could tell you how bad they are, actually, uh, that they are just basically coffee table books. And this is uh, everything but a coffee table book, really. I, I do want to add one thing, if I may. Um, we we have some appendices in there in this, and they're not just throwaway appendices. We actually took a lot of time and put together some real uh, stuff in there because we have a whole chapter about business managers and intermediaries. And in these appendices, we actually tell some stories, real life stories of things that happen to us in which they're middle, you know, these business managers who come out of the blue who want to work with with you, say, Bobby, because I heard your song or I know how badly you want to make it in the business. I see your guitar in the background. We know that, you know, um, I can help you, Bobby. So for um, I know your your parents have some money. So about for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, Bobby, um, I'm going to help you and I'm going to have my team. We're going to create a video for you and we're going to um, get you uh, the right wardrobe and photo shoot. We're going to record in my buddy's studio and we're going to spend all this money and do all this stuff. And we might need more. So, um, you know, so we talk about these real stories. So I talk about the, the layout, what happened with these people, um, how we went and we asked people in the industry rather than just say, obviously, this was a scam. But rather than just say that, get some real opinions from people. And we included all their opinions as to why this was not the right thing to do. And if I had this much money, here's what I would do with that money instead of giving it to this guy. Um, so it was it was pretty interesting putting that together because it, it goes pretty much in depth and hopefully teaches some people that don't just go for the easy way. Don't just if you have an extra couple thousand bucks, you don't necessarily have to do that. Maybe you should just buy some merch and uh, play some more gigs and earn it. You know, did you speak with Ken Calais by any chance? Did not now mm. because he has a very interesting situation that plays into what you're talking about. Ken was a producer of Fleetwood Mac, of the producer engineer of the big records, Rumors, and mm -hmm. as well as many many others. And his daughter is Colby Calais, who's a fairly big artist. And what happened was Ken actually helped her in the studio, and she got a deal and tour support and the whole thing without ever doing a gig, or not many gigs. So he had to hire a team to get her ready, and a team that traveled with her to get her stage ready and to help her and whatever. So it turns out mm -hmm. that that turned into a second business for him, where all of a sudden there were other parents who were music stars 
that had kids that wanted to get in the business and needed the same type of information. So he turned that into a second business. I can't for life me remember what he calls it. And it's not a scam because he already went through this. He had all the people together and helped his daughter become, you know, the multi-platinum artist that she is. But it's pretty cool. And next time when you go into edition seven, let me know. I'll turn you on to him because he'd be a good person to talk to. <laughs> yeah. All right. The people that are reading your book, who are they? It's a mix. It's it's college students because it is a textbook that is used in college classes. Um, I think you originally wanted it for for managers out there, yeah. right? Was your original thought. Mm -hmm. And and my thought when we came on was it was really for the DIY artist, maybe the DIY manager, you know, that, that kid who just graduated college really likes Bobby's band. And um, you know, says, I'll manage you guys, not knowing what that is. And this is sort of the book that can help that person chart his path, his or her path of where they want to go. Mm -hmm. But uh, or just for the people in the band themselves who are doing this on their own and trying to figure out what do I do? I don't know, really know what to do. And, th and this book can help them. You know, it's it, as I started uh, saying, it is the most important part of the industry and it is also the weakest part. And I say it's the most important individual outside of the creative, because as a manager, of course, you have the ultimate responsibility. You have to take care of everything that's going on. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you didn't have the ancillary revenue streams that you have today. You have to know something about the movies. You have to know something about fashion. You have to know something about uh, just about every aspect of culture that there is today. And uh, there is no license. There's no courses to take. There's no, you just become a manager. You, okay, I'll manage you. It's not like a booking agent where you need a license the books to, to get employment for somebody. So you have a lot of people in there that really shouldn't be in there. And uh, it is just so important, but it is the weakest link because there aren't that many great managers because there's no really qualifications. You know, you don't go to school for this, 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 and this, and you become a manager. Um, you know, if you were gonna sell somebody what to do besides taking, learning about the music business, and I always say patience is one of the most important qualities you got to have as a manager. But also you've got to, uh, to have maybe a sociology degree for social skills, for consumer behavior. I mean, it's endless what uh, the roles that you play as a personal manager today in both music and entertainment industry. Is there one thing that you find the people that read your book don't know? Is there one thing you keep on hearing from people that I didn't know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's I'm an excellent to, question. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> maybe because they didn't know so much. I mean, most of the time, you know, the, the kind of accolades we get are people that were, I couldn't find this in any other book. Yeah. And here it is. I mean, uh, our good friend, uh, Harvey Leeds, who worked at uh, Epic Records in promotion for for 30 years and now retired now he's managing when he went to israel to teach to the israelians about the music business this is the only book he took to pass out to them he said because it has everything in it mm -hmm. uh so i don't think we have one answer for that really if any you know people saying oh yeah boy i'm glad you know they say wow you know these guys really talk about it here and uh, that's also being you know 20 miles from New York City. So we're not in Omaha and we're, we're, we would 
couldn't live with ourselves if we weren't right up with it and could carry on a conversation with anyone in the industry about what's going on. We do have one more. It's trying to keep going back to the appendices, but we have do one more append. A singular would be appendix. Within the appendix, we have one more um, <laughs> part of it, and it's about when the Beatles manage themselves. And actually, um, John Simpson, J John Simpson, who runs the music business program at American University, and he also used to run Sound Exchange. Um, he loves that story. And um, I wrote something for Mia, the Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association, this long paper about the, I guess, 18, 19 months when the Beatles were self-managed after the death of Brian Epstein and right before Alan Klein came in. And um, he's been teaching from that. And so we, we sort of put in a bridge version of that within this book. But um, that's something that actually had some students come up and say, wow, I didn't know that. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how the Beatles dealt with this, because basically a lot of people just with the Beatles, they say Yoko broke them up or this or that. And really what broke them up was Brian Epstein died, their manager, yeah. and they mm -hmm. thought they could do it themselves. And they were so egotistical and nobody ever said no to them for the previous five years because they were, you know, they were the supermen of the world. And all of a sudden they were failing. And that's really what what broke it up. Plus, they were also guys who were turning 30 and growing up. Mm -hmm. So totally different subject, but that's sort of you know something else in there. There's a real good book, and it's called Breaking the Beatles. What's interesting about it is there was a confluence of very interesting things that happened that never happened before. And within, it was six weeks, the Beatles went from big in England to all of a sudden worldwide. But they think one of the big things that really did it in the United States was the fact that it was the year of the transistor radio. So mm. Christmas comes, the Beatles come in November and they're on Ed Sullivan. And then Christmas comes and every kid gets a transistor radio and is listening under his pillow to the earphone. And what is he hearing? He's hearing the Beatles on, on the radio. And they think that mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with them breaking, which is kind of an aside now, but it does play into the fact that in management, there are things that happen that you can't possibly predict, but you have to know how to react to. That completely ties into the way the music industry is now, because what they suddenly had winter 63 going into 64 is all these consumers had access yes. to the music yeah. and portability. And where the way the music industry now is, it's an it's an industry about getting access to music, which is ba you don't buy it anymore. It's just I have access to everything forever, whether it's Spotify or YouTube or Apple Music. And um, it's very similar, I think, to now, because when we were kids growing up, um, it was uh, there, there was scarcity of music. If you wanted it, you had to go buy it. You would wait on wait for that favorite song to come on the radio so you could maybe tape it or you would you would look for some obscure record store that might uh, sell imports or something. Other than that, you couldn't get it yeah, versus yeah. now it's everywhere and it's so easy to get for 9.99 a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely. interesting just like a transistor radio was uh, a, um, affordable for, consumers you know mm -hmm. is that the economy was such so mm -hmm. it's interesting bobby bobby you're killing it today baby okay so tell me then is there one piece of advice that you would have for someone who is thinking about managing a band my students still say this from my students from syracuse university when i started out teaching and i was came right off the road and started teaching this and i used to tell them never buy a truck <laughs> and 
And they still will say to me, like when they, they maybe have not had any contact with me in 10 years, they will say, never buy a truck. I don't, because I used to tell them they have to lease a truck. Yeah. Because the truck has to be on the road all the time. Truck has to never buy a truck. And we bought a truck. And tell you the truth, we couldn't make the payments to the dealer. And he stole the truck back in the middle of the night <laughs> to get some insurance money after we broke up. So that was what, that was the funniest thing that when people you know still come mm -hmm. up to me they they say that, but I think that the the we do say this uh, in two ways. We let Dave talk too, but I sort of um, put a list together in the book of things that you should have. And as I said, one thing in your personality is patience, is that you got to understand the creative process, and you got to understand that it takes patience to understand that creative process when you're on the business side because everybody's pulling at you either for another record or a date or whatever and you've got to have this patience to let the creative endeavors occur but dave actually did a survey uh last year when you um right. surveyed just about every different as uh, every different aspect of the industry asking people the one question yeah is what's the one thing in the music industry a personal manager would need to know and i got 175 or some odd responses from managers, booking agents, people in publishing, record labels. And um, patience was up there. That was one of the top responses. Um, one of the top responses was just um, be a visionary and have a plan. And I can tie, and I, and I agree with that, and I can tie in with his comment about patience because I was um, texting back and forth with somebody who's in a band over the weekend. And she was talking about, we want to have this single. We have a single. We want it to come out January 5th. And we have the record then is going to come out February or whatever. And then I said, well, when's your next show? It's going to be at the end of February. and But we have to get the single out right now. And I was just saying, why? <laughs> why, why, why now? What is so important about now? You know, and then there was just time before she texted back, you know, and I said, <laughs> There's, there's the only person rushing this is you. The the rest of the 99.999% of the world have no idea you exist. Whether you have music out now or in three weeks or two months, they, they still aren't going to know. Sure. So this whole thing, we have to get it out. All our fans are asking for it. Well, how many of these fans are asking for it? Is it three people? Is it four people? You know, yeah. or you're killing yourself for three or four people. They may be super fans, but that means they can wait a little bit longer. Let them wait, you yeah. know, till you're ready. till you have this whole plan together. And that's when we got back and forth about you really need to you definitely be patient and you need to know what you're doing and why you're doing whatever that you're doing. Every single step you take, you have to have a reason for why I'm doing this. If you take a gig, why this gig? Why in this place at this time um, in this? You know, sh should I do it here because I've played here enough and we'll get people or should I try and go a little 30 miles north? Maybe not get 30 people to show up. Maybe I'll get six but it's still expanding a little bit. You know, what is the purpose? Am, am I just trying to grow my social media contacts? Am I trying to get, grow my mailing list? Do you even have a mailing list? You know, so yeah. it's, it's all that really, that planning stuff and making sure every piece, every step you take fits into the plan. Yeah, and I, I think also, uh, if I just may add the, uh, I think we say it in chapter one, which is really the, uh, model for the entire book and it's the model for the industry now and that is to take your potential or your passive fan and make them into an active 
and then a fanatic or super fan. And there's no one model to do that anymore, especially if you don't need uh, airplay to be, you know, uh, if you don't need terrestrial airplay, that there are a million different ways and it's your creativity that's gonna do that. And how do you move that fan up so that obviously they're spending more money on you? And I give the students an example in class that you're, you're playing in the, you're playing in New Paltz, New, uh, New York, and there's, there's a, you know, a college in New Paltz, and you're playing there on a Thursday night, and you're setting up and so on, and it's many, many potential fans just walking on the sidewalks, walking right past. What are you doing creatively that are going to move that person into the club and then convert them from a passive fan to a active or fanatic fan? And, and the more creative you are, the, the better you are. We, we we have in one example in our book, it's a funny uh, example that I'm thinking of right now, as we ran into this ad for the, this uh, girl who this, this, uh, came up with this idea. She has 60 songs, and each song is one minute long, and they're drinking songs. So every time a new song comes up, you take a, a drink, and she has an app for it. And she has a shot glass and a, <laughs> a, a, a mug for it. And she's got uh, she's got it together. I don't know how well she did, but we put it in the book because we thought it was a great. Is it in the book? Yes, she is. She uh, actually t I interviewed her a while back and she uh -huh. uh, she toured with this college campuses. And uh, I wish I, she actually had she sold merch. And one of her merch was the shot glass and a. Uh, a USB that plugged into the shot glass yeah. as well right. of, wow. of the uh, oh, 60, wow. 60 songs. 60 songs. So, yeah. so it's an hour's worth of music, one minute one minute long each. And it, it's brilliant, whether it's, you know, it's fresh, it's creative. Yeah. It's great. You know, and that's what it is. It's finding, find it. The world is your oyster right now. Go out and, and figure it out. Uh, but move that potential passive fan, move them up the ladder and make them make them want you okay last question steve and dave and maybe you just answered this because i sort of asked you this but not quite what's the best piece of business advice that someone imparted to you along the way or maybe you just learned by yourself well to me it was this idea of patience that as you are a business person and you want something to happen immediately it's not going to happen with creative people uh, so you really need patience. And an offshoot that is uh, Walter Yentikoff's book, Howling at the Moon, which was a great book. And Walter is a friend of the program. And the idea being that when the record labels got bigger and they had to answer to corporations, they had to answer quarterly. And there was no time to have patience anymore. And that's what ruined artist development. And that's what ruined a lot of what used to be is not today. And it really goes back to that idea of just, you know, I, I always talk about that. It was a Dr. Noah that where they're sitting around and then uh, it was done again by Mike Myers. And then the, they press the button and the guy goes down the chute at the table and he goes down, you know, thing and he yells, I'm not dead yet and so on. And I always say that. So now you're at um, you're at Access Injury in, Industries, you know, and you're at Warner and you're and they have uh, waste management and they have. Uh, you know, uh, industry, and they have all these different guys and they're sitting there and they're all presidents of the different um, divisions. 
and you know the waste manager says, "Well, we reached our quota, ran there, we went there, we came in, wait a minute," and, and they get over to one as well. You know, um, Bruno Mars didn't action, eh, and he goes down the chute. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to talk about that. That's because that's basically what Walter was talking about in the book, and it, it really, I think, it really goes back to learning that 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 you know understanding what real patience means and how the benefit of patience uh, can really pay off. I think for me, it's funny. I'm try- as you're talking, I'm trying to think of all the different things people said. But I think one of the things that makes the most sense based upon what you just said is um, our friend Paul Sinclair. He works, uh, he's the head of digital marketing at Atlantic Records. And he brought up a while back that in the music industry, you're dealing with people. The product is people. It's not... Uh, it, it's not like you're you're making boxes or you're making something that's not alive. It's something that it's a creative, thinking, emotional, living creature, and you can't force it to do what you want it to. You can't force it to create something that's going to generate 200 million streams on Spotify and get a billion views on YouTube. You can't force it to um, be up to do a 150. Uh, night tour over the next 18 months. You know, you have to deal with the moods and the creative juices that may or may not flow with this person and work around it and, and understand when they're mad and when they're not mad and still somehow generate the revenue that you're supposed to get from this person all the while understanding that this is a human being. And as a manager, I think that's the thing. It's you're you're not you're running a band, for example, or or you're basically you're working for them, but it's it's a band made up of one, two, five, six individuals who are six, five, whatever different people who all have their own different agendas, who all have their own different personalities, mm-hmm. some of whom are some of whom may be awesome to deal with, and some are might just be moody and awful people, and mm-hmm. some might just be just blah and in it. And you really need to understand everybody. And that's what it is. It's it's a it's about people. Soylent green is people. <laughs> So, Dave, where can they get the book? They can get the book at backwingbooks.com, and they can go to Amazon, they can go to Barnes & Noble, but at Backwing, that's where they can get their biggest discount. To find out more about Steve and Dave and their programs, go to musicbiz101wp.com. That's musicbiz101wp, all one word, dot com. And you can also find their podcast at bit.ly forward slash musicbiz one hundred one podcast. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.